Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I'm Prison Jake. And welcome to episode 61 of the North Meet South web podcast. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in again. Um, if you saw the last episode of the Laravel News podcast live stream, Justin Jackson was watching it with his 11-year-old and I was wearing an orange shirt and I was sitting in front of this wall behind me right here, which is like a shiplap wall, which my wife asked me to put up and I did. But it looks like what you would see behind somebody when they were going in for a mug shot. And so his son asked him if I was in prison, to which he replied, "Yes, yes, he is." No, yeah. I'm just kidding. He didn't. But I mean, then, then uh, with four Paul, kids, prison would almost be preferable, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, yeah. No, it would not be. And I think many people in in prison would probably take offense to that. As Michael, as prison Mike would say, "You got a good life. You got a good <laughs> life." Right. Which is what Paul Redmond replied. Actually, it was prison Mike from. Uh, <laughs> From yeah, the yeah, office. yeah, from uh, Good episode. the office. Good episode. Yeah, so uh, anyway, got a couple things to talk about here. I have got like four things, four things to talk about. Um, and I know Michael probably has a few that will chime in there as well. Uh, before we get into that, let's talk about the weekend real quick. How was your weekend, man? Weekend is going pretty well. <clears throat> Rhea and I have, have been a bit unwell most of the week. Just a bit of a tummy thing, so... Ooh, that sounds um, fun. Yeah, not the nicest thing in the world, but there are worse things that we can have and it doesn't seem to have affected Eli yet or we got it from him and now he's fine and obviously we're sick. So, yeah, we're a bit unwell through the week, but nothing that really stopped us from doing anything, which is good. And then, you know, I let Ree sleep yesterday, took Eli shopping in the morning and just hung out with him. And same this morning, I'm, I'm going to go to the football today because it's the last game of the year. And I footy? haven't been. Yeah, footy. So it's it's our last game of the year, given the way that some of the other games are playing out before us, like right now. Um, if we lose, we will finish tenth overall, and if we win, we'll finish tenth overall. So there's not it's a wash, a great yeah. It's a, we call it a dead rubber. So ooh, a dead rubber. Hey, so where can I where can I like live stream these matches? Uh, you can go to watchafl.com.au. Watch AFL.com.au. All right, hold on. Yeah. All right, interesting. Oh, so I can actually watch it live? I can literally watch it now? Oh, yeah. no. Finals you plus pass now on sale. You <sighs> should be able to still... I suppose it's the last game of the year, so maybe not. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe I'll just have to stream it from Reddit. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I doubt there's I'm actually... Sure you, look, I'm sure you'll find a, a dodgy link somewhere. Yeah, those are always sketch, right? I don't trust yeah. those things. Uh, <laughs> Never. No, yeah. Um, okay, good deal. So footy match today, awesome. And I just got a chance to see the little guy. He's getting bigger mm-hmm. every day. He's got teeth now. He's biting, just like a good Aussie child, yeah. biting things, taking care of those drop bears. You know, mm-hmm. making sure that they don't get too uh, too populated in the in the region there. Taking, That's taking right. them out with his with his vicious teeth. We don't okay. want to be overrun. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm rambling. Um, <laughs> all right, real quick, my weekend. Let me think here. So had a flag football game today which was good i learned Mm -hmm. that my son likes defense better than offense on football so last year he got or last year last week he got a touchdown which was great well this year he pulled a ton of flags and was pretty vicious at it (laughs) Uh, he in fact he he crossed the line of scrimmage too early because there's like no rushing in this league so you can't really like cross the you can't cross the line of scrimmage until until somebody breaks the line of scrimmage like if there's a runner and they start running Mm -hmm. As soon as they start running, they and they get over the line, and then you can pull their flag, right? So he's yeah. he runs onto the other side of the line, right, and is waiting for the kid because he knew the kid was going to get the handoff. So he's waiting for him to get the ball. So as soon as he grabs the ball, he yanks his flag, chucks it on the ground, and just stares <laughs> the kid down, and then walks away. I was like, "Who are you right now?" It's so funny. <laughs> he gets so competitive in these things. Sport brings next, it out in people. Oh, it does. A couple of plays later, though, there was a kid. So Graham was trying to like. He saw him going to the edge of the field, like the, the side of the field is going around the sideline. Mm-hmm. And Graham was not going to let him get by. So he like dove for it, but took the kid's oh, legs man. out at the same oh. time, got his flag, oh. and, and the kid about smashed his head with, with <laughs> and not, not, he almost smashed Graham's head with his knee. Um, right. 
but Graham was just all smiles when he got up with the flag. And it was pretty cool. So that was a fun today. Yeah. And then we, um, there's actually a park. State Farm has a park in our town. So State Farm Insurance, uh, mm-hmm. this is where their headquarters is. So they have State Farm Park. And you can only go in there if you're a State Farm employee or know someone who's a State Farm employee. So mm-hmm. there's a birthday party there tonight. And we went there and did water slides and all sorts of fun stuff. So that was cool. Nice. So that was my weekend for the most part. Yeah, so it was a good weekend. But Sweet. onward and upward. We have things to talk about. So, uh, yeah, let's start with um, some of the less uh, lesser exciting things, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. And then maybe at the end, we can kind of loop back to this project that we're going to be taking on over the next couple of weeks and months that hopefully we'll mm-hmm. be launching it. They're kind of you. Okay. Nice. First, things I want, first thing I wanted to talk about is uh, this idea of a decisions folder in a repo. Have you ever heard of this? A decisions folder in decisions a repo. folder. Yes. So the idea is this. So like recently we said in a project, uh, we would like to look at the balance of a claim and we want to allow them to either pay 1% of the claim or $100, whichever is more, mm-hmm. right? They have to pay one of those two things right one percent or 100 dollars. it's like that's that's like the minimum right now where do you put that a lot of times you can you can put that in a test right and you can try and give it as nice of a name as you can and you can say like okay go look in the tests and like you should say it should validate that minimum payment is one percent of balance or 100 dollars, whichever is greater right now you could say that all in there there are, however, sometimes as well where you will have like additional stipulations where you'd say like, unless it's in a state where something, right? So you have these kind of tricky whatever. And sometimes it's just easier to explain it in like a plain text sort of format. So what we have is this this folder and it is decisions. And then you have like, you know, minimum payment dot markdown file, right? And you kind of just explain, hey, here was the decision that was made around these minimum payments. This was the discussion that happened. This was what was decided. Yep. And so when you make these sort of like domain logic sort of decisions, they go in there. So I'm thinking about this idea and I'm interested in your first thoughts on pros and cons. I think I have a few opinions of my own, but Mm -hmm. I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Number one pro for me is I like it. I think it's a <laughs> it's a good idea, especially for us where we've got a lot of business logic, business decision making that isn't necessarily captured elsewhere. When we've got like GitLab issues or Jira tickets or whatever else, we'll capture the the what, but not necessarily the why. So it's hard to go back in retrospect and say, you know, mm. why did we do this? And, I, and it's yeah, happened to me a few times where someone says to me, "Why have we done this?" I'm like, "Well, there was a reason for it." <laughs> At one point. <laughs> At one point, someone said we need to do this, and so we built it. And obviously, all the all, you know the tests are there to suggest that that's what should be happening, and and things like that. And and that would fix up some situation. For example, we had a promotion recently, which was like get X number of months free, or get a discount for X number of months. And the way that it was set up was misconfigured. So the test showed that everything would work as it was meant to. So when you sign up, you get that month free, and then you get the next five free. So you've got five recurrences of the discount. But sometime later, we added another promotion, which had a slightly different set of rules. And instead of saying that it was five recurrences, we put six because it was not clear. It was not documented. I was having a bad day, whatever, that, you know, that it should be one one number less than the number of occurrences you want of this discount. So luckily we caught the six month one, but there was a, a first month free that caused us some problems. So having a, a decisions folder and having some point of reference for like, hey, when you create these, because we don't create the promotions often enough that there's actually a UI for it. We just go and add some fields into a into a database. So maybe we should build a UI for it so that, that at least we can encapsulate the business rules that says, hey, when you say one month free, it needs to be zero recurrence or zero occurrence recurrences of this this promotion because that will actually give you two months free kind of thing. So yeah, I I certainly think capturing the the business logic and the the reasoning behind it and the decision making and and then even forming as part of that some documentation as to you know this is how you would actually use this based on these decisions that we've made would be would be good. 
Yeah, um, I feel like I, I guess I, at a base at a base level, that's really what it is, right? Is this, this is sort of like a form of documentation. Yeah, right? this is a really lightweight, cheap, and quick way to kind of say like we're doing some documentation, right? Like if you don't have a formal process that you kind of have, and a lot of people say like the feature isn't done until it's documented, right? Well, does that only mean in the code, right? Are you only documenting it in the code? And if you are, okay. Like, are you documenting the issue? Maybe like, mm. you know, I just, I don't know necessarily what that means. Like we certainly don't have a document for each one of our code bases. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I guess the main con with that approach is that that's a document for developers, your business stakeholders that may interact with that piece of functionality or that user interface or whatever won't necessarily see the markdown document that's in, in your Git repository. Now, obviously, you can export that as a pretty PDF or HTML right, page or whatever. Right. But typically speaking, your application users, your stakeholders, your product owners, all of that kind of stuff, they won't have access to the markdown itself. Right. You could, um, to your point, though, you could sort of make it accessible, right? I suppose another option that you could do with this is like on GitHub, for example, you have a wiki, right? Mm -hmm. For every repo, you have a wiki. And so I've done this on a couple of ours, actually. So when we were very first starting out this one project, I said, I want you to document in the wiki everything that you're going to, like I want the payload, on exactly how the how the interaction back and forth is going to go. And I want you to basically work off of that document to, base, to create the feature. Now, mm -hmm. could you do that in the issue? Yes, you could. Uh, but once the issues kind of merged, you'd have to dig back through the code to figure out where you're at, right? So again, this is just sort of like a form of documentation. So you could use a wiki, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, I suppose the other half of it is how do you make it accessible to the people who need to see it who are not developers? So, yeah. you know, you could, I suppose, make a very simple page that would list, that would like basically go in and say, give me the name of any of the markdown files that are in decisions and just make a link on a page that says, you know, documentation. And it says minimum yeah. payments and promotions for referrals or early bird coupons or whatever, right? Whatever you'd want to do. And then they would mm -hmm. just click on it and it would just have basically like a blog format, almost markdown that would explain yeah. here's what the thought process was. Here's what the current implementation is. You could even just do like update as of this date and then, you know, fill in new information instead of changing old information. So you could have yeah. like a history of kind of what had happened. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So, any other cons that you can think of? Assuming that you even like assuming that you can easily give access to the documentation to people, a problem that I've encountered fairly recently is like we'll put out a developer journal. We try to do it weekly, but it more often happens like fortnightly or three weekly or four weekly, depending on how much we're doing. Sometimes we're just too busy to to get stuff out. Sometimes we're not doing enough to warrant putting a developer journal out every week. And so what we find is that people just don't have time to read them. And is it's a it's a balancing act between writing a really long entry that says these are all the things that we've done in the last week or the last two weeks and using it as a form of documentation and a reference point because some of the people in the business do actually want to have a comprehensive technical document that outlines everything. And some people just want dot, dot points. Yeah. And what... What I tend to find, what I have found is that sometime later, people will say, we didn't know about this feature or we don't know how this thing how works or we time. don't know why we yeah. don't have access to this. And so as the person that spends a couple of hours writing that document, you then sit there and go, well, you know, I could have spent that couple of hours on something else, like building a new feature or or or." scratching myself basically because <laughs> for all the good for all the good that came from me spending time writing this document it's not provided any value to people yeah and so it, it gets to the point where it's like someone will say something and i will say yeah here is the entry where we wrote about this and where we introduced this feature three weeks ago yeah so so you not only you have to have a way to create the create the document but you also have a way to you have to have a way to like notify users and then consume those documents or let them know if something changed or whatever yeah and the thing is we will email everybody that's We've yeah which distribution list and we'll say here it is we'll post it in slack and, and so we write it we post it we email everyone directly 
we, we and can't make people, you it. can't yeah. yeah and you can't make people read the thing that's the thing yeah yeah okay so this takes i i this like branches off to another thing that i want to talk about this developer journal idea i love this so we've had the same problem and i want to loop back to that but before i do i want to finish this one thought about the decisions that markdown files okay mm-hmm. so a perfect example of this was I know that I was talking with some of the folks over at Spread Truth about they were like, hey, we want to do three tiered pricing this year for our trip that's coming up. We want to do early bird pricing, we want to do regular bird, regular pricing, and then we want to do late pricing, right? So if they sign up in October for the trip that's like next June, then they get this special discount. If they sign up during the regular year, they get the regular price. And then if they sign up late, which is like in the last month, then it's an extra fee because it's like they have to rush everything, right? Totally mm-hmm. makes sense. Yes. It would involve changing the structure of some of the database stuff, which is not a big deal. Not the end of the world. We can totally do it. But one thing that they brought up was they were like, well, could we just do it as like a use this early bird coupon and only make it available for this certain period of time and just do like a fixed cost off? Yeah, absolutely. That makes total sense. That's really easy to do. And you guys want coupons anyway. Okay, let's do that, right? Discussed that probably three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yesterday went in. We were discussing. He was like, yeah, don't forget we want three-tiered pricing this year for, for the trips. I was like, mm, I think we talked about that. Didn't we decide on coupons? And I was like, oh, that's right. That's right. Right. But this was exactly one of those things that like we had literally just discussed it. And if it had been in there, like if it had been in this decisions sort of thing, it would have been easily, I would have been able to easily point to them to this and say, go look at this. Right. Here's my yeah. idea for how I would consume it is I ha- they have a Nova back end. And it seems like it would be quite easy to just pull in that decisions MD or whatever, mm-hmm. or those files and just kind of display them out to them like yeah. that, right? That would be really, really simple. So it's a very, very lightweight, simple way to do like a documentation within Nova. Haven't flushed that out at all, but that was like one of the ideas. So, yeah. okay, there's that. The developer journals. So we've had the same problem. And one of the things I was thinking about is it would be really interesting if we could create blog posts straight from our pull requests. So like as soon as a pull request gets merged, if I had like a separator in my, cause there'll be some stuff that doesn't make any sense to a person who's reading it. Like, Hey, make sure you update these ENVs before you deploy. Right. Mm-hmm. So there are some like developer notes that need to happen up at the top, but then there's like a lot of times there's explanation as far as like, Hey, here's a screenshot of what the, what the visual diff is. Here's a little gif of like the animation of like, Hey, you click this button that says here, pop up this thing and put your phone mm-hmm. number in whatever. Right. And then basically the details of here's what we actually did. We already write that in the pull request. We have to like to communicate yeah. to the team members who are reviewing it, what you should be looking for, what what features it actually adds. We're already doing all of it, right? So what I was doing before is saying like, okay, let's merge the pull request. And then, or I would say before we merge the pull request, go ahead and write up a document about what that is over on this developer journal. And then we'll merge it so that, you know, people can see what's happening. Yeah. Why don't, why don't you just do that straight from the PR? It's totally possible to get like a web hook from GitHub and say a PR is merged. Go ahead and grab off this chunk of it where you've said, this is the blog post portion of it. And then just go feed that into a blog post, you know, pull the stuff yeah. off of GitHub and just go chuck it into your own S3 bucket. And there you go. It seems yeah. a lot more practical to do it that way. It seems like it would actually happen. Yeah. I mean, it's all in one place, but it means that you have to make sure that that has been written into the, I guess the pull request body, like in the original description. So you'd have like a markdown, a fenced section in there or something that says, you know, begin the, yes, post here like and post, post yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. And that right. way, when when the pull request is merged, you could fire a webhook somewhere that just intercepts, you know, receives that process as it takes out the defense section and then creates a blog post somewhere. So right. yeah. I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility. It just means that for every pull request, not actually, that's not true. Not for every yeah, single right. pull Only request, but you you'd have, have to, yeah. And that makes sense because then you can check if there isn't a post here, then you don't have to create a post. So totally like for, so for like, I just did one where it was like, Hey, adjust the flex box sizing of this one thing. Nobody cares about that. Like yeah. nobody yeah. needs to know about that. Right. I'm never going to write something like that. I may actually put a GIF or put a whatever, but doesn't, mm-hmm. nobody cares. Right. Mm-hmm. So like I would basically just require it on any that was like a feature. If you're adding this feature, do this thing. And it could be really simple then. And it's all done in the same platform. And like in GitHub, you already have the drag drop of an image or a f- attach a file or, you know, you know, take a screenshot with your Mac and just com- command V to paste yeah. it in or whatever. Yeah. Right. So 
I was thinking about that. I thought that was an interesting idea. I think that's a good way of going about it. So uh, certainly, because it means that your developers don't have to break stride and go somewhere else to, exactly. to build it. And it gets done. One thing that I've had issue with is people creating like really, really crappy pull request titles. And like, here is the code that I've changed. And I, I, I said, look, don't tell me what code has changed or what you've done in the pull request. That's what the commits are for, right? That's what the individual commits are for. That's what the change log is for and the diff and all of that. Tell me what the end result for the user is in what you've done in this pull request. Sure. And so yeah. getting, you know, reframing how you're writing the pull request should make it easier for the developer to then spend five minutes documenting. This is what I've changed. This is what I've added. Here are some screenshots. Here's an animated GIF is you know whatever and then it's a lot easier and you can just collate these things and you can just push them out as soon as a a merge is made you can just go here's a new thing and then you can give you know an rss feed or somewhere just say hey go and periodically check in here you could put a feed into your application that says here are the latest updates etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah there's definitely really, some good good ways of going about it i think yeah and like you could use the same idea even if you just wanted to do like a change log if you just said like change log starts here change log ends here or something and you just like you know you just push that onto a stack you know and then when you do the next release you just go look and say like okay what's changed and then you don't have to go back through all the pull requests to try and figure out what changed on each one you just you're doing yeah. it as you do the pull request right yeah <laughs> which seems like it could be interesting and then as far as like notifying like you were saying like put it in an rss feed or whatever i really like how slack does this how they have that little present icon and it says what's new yeah right and then you can kind of click on it it expands and then it shows a short description and then it says read our blog for more info so you can actually click over it and then it reads the blog right but it's like just you know figure it out at your leisure um, that's the strategy I think we're going to take for we have we have a spot for it on our intranet where we're just going to have like a little icon and it's going to have like a little you know red dot if there's any updates for the apps that you actually use mm-hmm. and if there is then it'll just display that and you can view it when you have, whenever you want but then we're not yeah. on the hook for like you know because the problem is right now you have to email everybody and it's super annoying like I don't want to use yeah. email for like something that's not critical important because then it just yeah it, it becomes a a black hole. Yeah. Uh, give me one second. I got to plug my laptop in. Hold on. Do, 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 I know. Well, I was like, I was at like 80% and I was like, I should be good. Should be totally fine. Yeah. No, it's like 15%. Um, there was something wrong the, with your laptop. I know. The one other thing I was going to say about decisions was that it could fall out of doc. It could fall out of sync just like any other code comments would or any other documentation would. Yeah. So that's a problem that you have to solve yourself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Throwing out a I lot guess of ideas make it part here, of not your, like a lot of solutions, but. Yeah. I guess you'd have to make it part of your pull, rev- pull request review process that you make sure that if there's some something that you're reviewing in there and you go, I'm not sure about this, we should document it. Make sure that there's a corresponding decision document for it. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, this is one extra thing that you need to think about when you're reviewing code. I know. In addition to the blog posts and all that crap, right? It's just, uh, code is hard. Yep. There's just I said so many to, things. So many I said to things. Adam Wathen the other day, I said, nobody, none of us should be developers. It's just there's no reason to be a developer. Just find something else to do with your life. Yeah, I mean, because because the other thing to say, right, is like, okay, well, pull requests and issues do all this for you, right? Ideally, your pull request should be referencing an issue in the first place, so the issue should describe the problem. The pull request should describe the solution. It's all linked up in the code anyway. You go look at a git blame. And you go look and say, oh, yeah, there's the commit. Okay, that's the pull request. Okay, I have all the documentation I need right through there. That's my decisions MD, right? I mean, that's... Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I I feel like whenever I try and make these things more clear, it's like I'm reinventing the wheel. But I I don't know. Like, it's just... Sometimes it's just buried. So, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't have all the answers. uh, These are just solutions, possibilities. So As as part of pulling in the... uh the release notes, you should get it to automatically print the documents so that you can come up with a nice bound book or something so that next time someone asks you what this thing is, you can Mm -hmm. use this big, thick, bounded book to beat them to within an inch of their life. This is another idea for an app, by the way. 
uh, like a pull request to blog or pull request to stack or something like that. I don't know. PR to stack. That's a freebie. Like I definitely don't want to build that. Oh, totally. It's a freebie. Somebody else can build it though. Hey, yeah, anybody I, else out there want, want to build this? This would be really cool. I want nothing to do with parsing Markdown. No, no, no. You won't even have to parse it. Like you could use GitHub's Markdown parser. No. Like you, no. you just throw it uh, on uh, GitHub uh, and it'll just no, re- no, return no. to you. No. I don't want anything to do with it. Mastoffer does this already, right? With just log. This is what he does. This is what they do. It already handles this. But it doesn't just it doesn't handle it in a pull request format. So mm. huh. Maybe you could do it that way. That would be maybe. Okay. Moving on. If anyone wants to build that and you want a clever name, just ask. We'll try and come up with a clever name. You can build it and then there you go, Don. There you go. That's right. Between It'll, the two of us, I'll come up with like an oblique name, a, a clever little thing, and then Jake will be like, how about this really simple thing? And so instead of registering one domain, we end up registering two because of the time zones and I can't wait. I was excited. What if someone registers the... Do you ever find that? If you look for a name on, on hover.com, and then you go, mm, I'm not so sure about it. And you come back 24 hours later and the, the domain's it's suddenly gone. Yep. Something dodgy going on there. I, yeah, no, GoDaddy does that. Mm. It's actually, I mean, it's illegal. And the thing is, at least I think it's illegal. I think there was a, there was a, like a lawsuit about it or whatever. But what they'll do is they don't even actually purchase it. They just put a hold on it. Yeah, okay. They, as the domain as a domain name, they have the ability to basically do this. Like, mm, we might want this. Like, we're yeah. not going to actually buy it, but we're we're interested. And so then, if you go to buy it, then they can say, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we were interested first. So if you really want it, it's now one hundred fifty dollars instead yeah, of ten. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So jerks. Dodge. Okay. Two more things, and then we can get to the other fun stuff. Sound good? We're already at thirty minutes. Sounds good. We're halfway okay. through half an hour in already. Okay. Real quick. Recently noticed that we had bills that went from $300 on CloudFront to $3,000, then to $5,000. So we're now at okay. $5,000. Yikes. Okay. No fun. You, so you didn't have those like, CloudWatch alerts or anything set up there? Apparently not. <laughs> apparently not. No. No. Jeez, which, so I guess I need to set that up now. Um, <laughs> you need to figure right? out how to do that. May as well just move it all to vapor. <laughs> right, there you go. So anyway, this is what this is, is like they have this video, it's Spreadsheet, they have this videos or all these videos that they host and then they allow people to do embeds of these videos on their website, right? Mm -hmm. Well, videos are obviously very large in size, but I'm looking on there and it's like 10 million requests. I'm like 10 million requests in this one region. It's like, oh yeah, 8 million over here. I'm like, okay, what is happening? Um, And then the bill is just ridiculous, right? Yeah. And so I'm trying to figure out what in the world is happening. So there's either two options. It's either malicious traffic. So either Mm -hmm. somebody doesn't agree with the content of the video because it's religious in nature and they're trying to like spam the server to run the costs up, possibly, maybe. Or it's it's embedded on the homepage of a very popular website, right? Also possible, right? So Mm -hmm. we, you know, checking those, checking those into those problems. If it's an, uh, if it's an embed issue, way easier to solve because I control the content of the iframe that they're embedding, right? Yeah. So when I looked at the iframe that we're embedding, that we give them the code for, it starts loading the video as soon as it, as soon as the iframe loads on the page. 15 megabytes, in fact. Yeah. So the first yeah. section of video that need that would be needed to play loads as soon as they load the page. Well, 15 megabytes yeah. is no joke when you're talking about every single, like all, all, all those 10 million, 10 million. requests, obviously, yeah. that's not like... Of those requests, like some of them is for the, you know, the actual playlist file and one's for the thumbnail and one's for the actual JavaScript and one's for the CSS and one's for blah, 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 right? But mm-hmm. yeah, one's for the dash dot MPEG thing, whatever it is, that's loading that 15 megabytes. So you can get to a lot of traffic really quick if you do yeah. that, right? So that's why YouTube or any of these other things, they show a thumbnail and then if you click on it, then it loads the video, right? Yeah. So... <laughs> That's been an experience, like learning, like oh, that's yeah. why they do that, because otherwise you get this this insane amount of of transfer that you're paying for that nobody's even clicking on it. It's just yeah. sitting there on the page. Yep. So yeah, I've had to. Ch- I'm going to change that gonna, probably want to turn that preload off. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So interesting one. Okay, mm-hmm. that was all I had for that. You got anything you want to talk about before we jump into the other thing? Um. No, it's been a pretty reasonable week one of my guys was on holiday visiting his family this week so i wasn't reviewing a merge request every 15 minutes which was nice i mean it's good that he cranks the workout but 
he'll he'll do the merge request and then he will message me for a merge request. I don't need to review it the very second that you submit it. I will get to it. It's not critical. Aaron the Heath will not quit catch on hitting place. him up on Slack. Aaron, knock yeah. it off. That's right, Aaron. No, Aaron Good never sends goodness. me anything. He 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 and the other guy on his project are very self-contained. They just go about their business, which is nice. But um, don't try yeah, to backpedal now. <laughs> you, you know it's Aaron. Don't just, just <laughs> we all know it's it. Aaron. Hey, we, yeah. we do. And he, he keeps asking for all of this time off because he wants to drive into state to watch his football team play. Mm. Well, I'm jaded, mate. My team's not playing past That's today. So so. That's so Aaron. Or MMA, whatever it is he's watching these yeah, days. That's right. He's Driving Mr. MMA. MMA or wrestling yep. or baseball. Yep. There's always something with him. Yep. He's just an all-around good Aussie, a good he's Bogan. A, he's a troublemaker. That's what he is. <laughs> yes, he is. He does we bring giant... Giant uh, giant bags of fruit chocks and giant tubs of popcorn into the office, though, so that's okay. That's, you, we you let know, it, we let he's got to have a reason to keep him around. He's no dummy. That's right. He yeah, knows. That's, it's some good popcorn, too. He knows how this works. Okay. <laughs> so the thing that we were talking about last time we were on here was essentially a, a way to monitor uh, your scheduler tasks. And the other thing that we've discovered is that this is not, again, this is not like a brand new idea. Mm-hmm. and we won't be the first ones who have built something like this. So I don't know that there's any big reason to keep it a huge secret. And so we're just kind of going to talk about what we're working on and some of our thought process through it. And I think last time we talked about it, we actually got some really helpful feedback from some of our listeners on Twitter, which was awesome. Yep. Um, yeah. I wish I could tell you I know the names of all the people. I would have to look back through all the tweets. There was a couple of them. There was one in particular that I thought was really helpful, which was somebody basically looking at the scheduler and using some cron expression thing mm-hmm. to basically be able to translate a cron expression that they got out to a... It was basically how they how they were monitoring their stuff, right? Yeah. And so anyway, it was very it was very helpful. That took, was took David, a couple of, David Piez. Yeah. So took a couple ideas from that, said tweak it tweak it a little bit, and this is how we would do it, maybe. So mm-hmm. his idea was basically what he was doing is storing the cron schedule. So like the star, 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 two, star in a database. And then every minute he was running through all of the all of those stored expressions. And then using the cron scheduler like thing in Laravel to say, is it due yet? Is it due yet? Mm-hmm. Is it due yet? Mm-hmm. Is it due yet? So all of them, right? And then if he got a true, then he would check it or do something with it, right? Yep. The only problem I had with that is that's a lot of that's a lot of checking, right? Like if you yeah. have to run through all of those and check them every minute, then that's gonna be a big problem. But I have no problem with storing the cron expression and then saying, when does it next need to run? So next run at, yep. right? And then you store that value. And then all you have to do is when you run through your jobs every minute, you say, grab any jobs, whatever you want to call them, um, alerts or uh, what did you call them? Scheduled tasks. Grab any that Mm -hmm. have a next run at that's less than now, right? And check those ones. See if they've actually checked in. Yeah. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. So um, that's, that's kind of the stuff that we're working on right now is we're looking at how can we make a really, really, really simple way for you to get all of your scheduled tasks out of your code base and into a project that will monitor them for you? What's the easiest way for us to make it for you to do that? Because that's what mm-hmm. I need. So like yeah. for me, when I have these projects that are either legacy projects that I haven't had alerts for previous or I have a brand new project, how do I go about setting up my, my new scheduled jobs and how do I set up uh, alerts for those to make sure that everything's running good. Most mm-hmm. pain-free way possible. So that's what we're working on. We won't tell you the name of it quite yet, but Michael, what you're looking at right now or what you were talking about right now was the onboarding flow, right? It's pretty much what you were looking at, right? So yeah. you log in, you first start a project, then so like you had like create a project, right? Yeah. Okay, so what's your thought process for that? Like what would you, how would you go through and and start a project from zero? So you, when you brought this up last time, you said you wanted it to be zero config and I pushed back on that. I said, I don't think it can be. I think we reached a middle ground where it kind of can be. There is some config, right? Potentially, because you still need to have an application key or a reference back to your app in order for mm. the, the request 
to be verified that like, yes, we do want yeah. your ping to hit us. But in terms of the individual scheduled tasks hitting this monitoring application, I think that that can totally be automated. And I, I went off and did some investigation and figured out a nice way of getting all the information we need from the sending app so that um, I know that article suggested that, you know, we can check the last run and the next run and all that kind of stuff. But I figured out a way to add that functionality into like an SDK that would provide you. And then when you install it, it will just say like, what is your application key, which you can generate. So you would have to go into our app anytime you create a new project that you want to monitor tasks for. And once you create the project, we'll give you a link and be like, or we'll give you an application key and say, go and install this package provide it this key and then it'll you know just tell us like in your console kernel or you know where, you, where you're scheduling all your tasks just say you know then ping and then give it whatever we call the the method right and then it will handle reading the com the, the key out of configuration pinging the service and matching up like the tasks for that project right mm -hmm. so you'd only ever have to do that once and then anytime you add a a new schedule task you just call our method whatever that happens to be called, and then it will go, okay, well, this is a new task that needs to be monitored. So create the task and then add the add the check-in. So we can do a lot of stuff in there. You know, we looked at the, the Chrono Expression factory. I went and did some digging through the event scheduler and all that kind of stuff to figure out what we can get out of there. I need to do a bit of digging in terms of what a command looks like because it's generally like PHP artisan, blah, whatever the, the right. command is. Yeah, but then the you can schedule. Name, yeah. Yeah, but then you can schedule jobs directly, so I don't know Correct. what that looks yeah. like. So I yeah, need to so look at all of the different. Yeah. In, yeah, need to go and look at all the different incarnations of um, the job because then we need to somehow, you know, flag that so it's obvious within this this application, the monitoring application. You know what, so that you can match them up one to one with with what you're running on your end. Yeah, and then also figure out, you know, when it last ran, when it's due to next run, as you suggested, so that we can just check the things that haven't or that should have run and then we can check to see have they run and then configuring in sensible defaults around, you know, timeouts and, and grace periods and things like that. So that if you right. schedule a task that runs every five minutes where well, we can go in there and say, give it 60 seconds grace period that it should check in within 60 minutes of that five minute window or whatever, whatever it happens to be. I don't, I don't know yeah. what those look like. Experience will tell us, you know, and we'll come up with some good defaults, but allow you to configure them per, per task. So um, yeah, the other thing that you can do, I think what you discovered, which was pretty cool, is like you can do, you can figure out how long it took for a task to run, right? Mm -hmm. So you can say, okay, this one took uh, about this long to run. And so you can kind of do some metrics and some algorithms around that to determine if it's taking longer than normal. The other thing mm -hmm. that I saw actually, which is on, I was, because here, like, again, there's a million of these out there. So I was looking through a bunch of like, different ones and just looking at their landing pages and just trying to see what it is that that kind of look is that people are using currently for those there it mm -hmm. obviously runs the gamut but one of them said if your job is running too fast as well which i thought was interesting because i actually have had that problem before where i have a job mm -hmm. that's returning thumbs up yep looks good we, yeah. we ran yeah. looks like it everything good it's like no 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 Typically, that import takes about five minutes. Like when you run yeah. that job, the typical correct response, like it takes five minutes to run. Yeah. This took, this took less than a second to run. Something didn't happen right there, right? Yeah. So there's, since you can track like the time as well, that's an interesting another sort of piece that you can tack on to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So obviously the first goal is to, to handle the check-ins and then make sure like here's the thing and then you missed one. But then as we go down the track, I, I've got a, a few things in the back of my mind around metrics, around intelligence that we could provide. That's like, you know, your job is taking longer to run than your interval. So your five, your, your job that runs every five minutes is taking six minutes to run. So maybe you should look at optimizing the job. Maybe you should look at increasing the time between runs. We could even check, for example, and make suggestions. Hey, you haven't got this set to run without overlapping. Okay. So yeah. all of this, all of this kind of intelligence that we could bake into this application because we're tailoring it for Laravel. So right. um, you can use the full power know, of Laravel, yeah, to do exactly, it. yeah. And because you know we've talked about this previously, and we've seen that you know we, we've decided that like to hell with the fact that there's 
50 or 100 other applications that do this, the fact that we're going to build it specific for Laravel means that we can leverage all of what Laravel offers us to make this most robust solution for a Laravel application and for anyone wanting to monitor a Laravel application. So end of the day, I'm going to use it no matter what Correct. and you're, yeah. you're going to use it. So at least there'll be two of like, us that will be able to sort it out over a like period I'll of time. I'll tell you, for me, like it is a huge need. Like we have our own solution built in house and it's fine. It works good. Like, and it's saved me. I can't even tell you how many times. Like, so I get alerts, which this is probably like, you hate to hear this, right? I get alerts on a pretty like semi-regular basis that say, hey, you might want to go check this thing, right? Hey, you have some failing jobs over here. You might want to go check that out, right? So it has saved my tail many times. But I know that there are improvements that I could make, but I particular like for this one thing, like I'm not going to make those improvements. But once we build this, they'll mm. be like, this will be the resource that I use and it'll all be built in. And I'm super excited about that. So yeah, I, I'm with you. Like I, I'm totally all about building this thing. If for nothing else than to say that I have a great solution that I'm really happy with and that I can mm -hmm. customize to meet the needs that I have specifically felt in my area. Yeah. Um, so with that being said, I kind of wanted to roll back to the like the onboarding flow, right? So mm. I was looking through some of these recently as well, like just onboardings. And there was this one particular resource. I can't remember what it was now. It's this, I'll find the link, try and send it to you over. But he, it's this guy who basically breaks down onboarding experiences, right? In apps in particular. And he mm -hmm. talks about all these different yeah, yeah, bad things you shouldn't these. do. Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's really, really cool. And so I was trying to say, like, this is obviously a tool that's built for developers. So how do we get them from zero to, like, done as quickly mm -hmm. as possible, right? One thing that I really like is, like, Paper Trail. If you've ever heard of Paper Trail, I think you probably mm -hmm. have. Yeah. If you want to ever do, like, logging with them, they basically say, like, you do quick, quick ad. And it says, mm -hmm. here's the thing. Do this, this, this. Step one, two, three. And then it has a thing listening over on the side that says, we have not received any logs yet, right? And so mm -hmm. by the time you do step one, two, and three, you should see, oh, we received our first log for that thing. Go view yeah. them here, right? Yeah. So it's almost like a, it's not a zero config, but if the idea was, hey, great, we're super stoked that you've decided to use our process. Like we've already created a key for your first project. Like you, we know that you're going to use one. So here's your first key. Yeah. All you need to do is composer install this, run this command with your key, and we're going to test ping us with and with a thing just to make sure that you know that you have it set up so just stay on this page mm -hmm. composer install run this command and we'll automatically check to see if you have it set up correctly yeah boom right and then the next thing that you run is a command that says send all of the jobs that you currently have scheduled up to our thing to monitor and then you can customize them as you see fit so like you could delete mm -hmm. any ones that you actually don't care about or whatever but like literally four steps to be like from nothing to your first project is up and running and you can name it after the fact if you want or you could just use the name of the app underscore name in your env key right whatever that is just set that as the default of the name that comes through and there you go like that's a pretty yeah. fast and freaking sweet onboarding process i think i would love that yeah um so and then if you do create a new project it doesn't ask you for anything it just like it just says hey here's your key do the same mm -hmm. process like yeah. here's how you do it so so you could probably you could probably schedule your own i'd have to look at it i'd have to have a look into how to do it but we could schedule our own task as part of the package that you install that like once a day we'll check to see if there's any new tasks hmm. and then and like you, yeah and then it says okay let's monitor this thing now yeah um i don't know if we could hook into the tasks automatically in terms of like when the task runs automatically ping i'd have to look into that you probably could you probably could um because i bet you you could well because calling then ping is a manual thing that you have to attach to each command right yeah but if you if you did something where like in a service provider you attached yourself to the kernel or to the scheduler somehow. Mm. Like if mm. you threw something on there that every time something ran on there, it would just automatically, you know, yeah. send something to you. Now, you may like that, you may not, right? You could have multi you could have two different ways to do it. You could say either just bind this in your service provider and every time any scheduled job runs, it'll hit us. 
Or if you don't particularly like that and you'd only like to monitor a couple of your jobs, you can yeah. not use this service provider and just use this method instead, right? You could do yeah. that. Yeah, because I'd, I'd look at it because you'd want to be able to like mute or say do not track right. the notif- like inside the, the app, our, our application. Right. But also, I guess you'd want, you, you'd need some way on the consuming like on the client application to say i've been told not to monitor this and to not send the ping and then like when you do that daily check or whatever just say hey can i monitor this now or whatever yeah um but then that gets complicated because then you've got state that's being managed somewhere because the monitoring application says i'm not tracking this but then you decide you want to track it so then you like how do you override it if the you know your application is now saying being told not to do that so you have to find the balance between automating it and saying do everything and do nothing. Um, yeah. But you could probably you could probably send back some status code that tells the the monitoring application, hey, don't don't monitor me anymore, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that you would, because I think it would still be valuable to always track the check ins and just like don't report them anywhere, so that if later on down the track someone says, actually, I do want to monitor this task, we can say, well, here's like the last X period yeah. of time of here's metrics the anyway. Yeah. Right, because the only thing you're the only thing that the that the um, the alert service is going to monitor is like name, time to run, when it checked in, you know, all that stuff. So they, you're not you're not sending any sensitive data along at all. Yeah. it doesn't. You know, mm-hmm. it's so if you tracked it, it wouldn't matter, right? It just yeah. doesn't matter. But like you know, don't just don't alert me if it doesn't report in or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so for me too, like I know that these are all like dream items like on the list so one of the things i i think i'm going to have to learn again the hard way with this is like really to focus on mvp so say okay what's the thing you need to do in order to be able to get like a thing checked in and whatever and then you build the experience kind of after you've got at least the first prototype working right so create something you're embarrassed of essentially but that works and then make it prettier this is just like red green refactor right it's the same sort of idea right like it's not working. Oh, it is working now. Okay, let's improve it. So, uh, and you know, you know, hopefully you don't release the version that's like, hey, it's just working. Or you obviously improve it to the point where it's something you can at least mm. be a little bit proud of before you release it to the public, or at least maybe you know, in in a non-beta version. But but yeah, that's uh, I think that's the thing that's going to be tough for me because I have like all these ama- like dreams and aspirations of like what it could be for myself for what I would really like to see and some what are the pain points for when I'm doing this. I think I've said yep. that like five times now, maybe six, maybe six. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I think it's it's definitely like, especially with all of these things in mind, at least you can build it in such a way that you could scale out to those yeah. nice to haves as opposed to building it in a very fixed way and not thinking about like, how would we implement these automatic check-ins of all of the tasks, you know, automatic creation yeah. of all the tasks and all of this kind of stuff. The automatic thing is really nice because because so, the other option would be, Hey, whenever you add a scheduled job, make sure you run this command. Well, hopefully you remember to run the command that sends the new updates to the, you know what yeah. I mean? It's just, but whereas like if you just do it when you install it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the way I'd always pictured it was that you would just say like for any task that you want monitored, add this, you know, chain this method on and then yeah. go from there. Because that way you're yeah, selective yeah. and you're controlling in your application and it's obvious True. in your application what's reporting outwards. Because yeah. for like you and me, yeah, we want to monitor everything, but not everyone wants to monitor everything. That's true. And I, yeah, you, you'd probably want to make it configurable within the application as much as possible. Yeah. Whereas you know, you and I have got like dozens of tasks, so going to set everything up is annoying. But if all we have Super. to do is go into the console kernel and just say, you know, this task, this task, and just add like then ping, then ping, then ping onto all yeah. of these different tasks, well, that way I can see in here we can say, you know, we've introduced this functionality, and the first time those fire up, they'll just off they go um, yeah, and they'll just exactly. appear the, the first time they'll just get created automatically so mm-hmm. yeah I love that I really like that oh cool um, the other thing the one last thing I think you'd probably have to do this you'd have to create a unique key for each for each application yeah and this is where this is where I came up with the project so each project that, yeah. that would be the only time that you would have to log in to the application like alerts we'd send to Slack or email or whatever but the yeah. only time you log into the application is when you're setting it up yeah. Um, and now you put your, you know, you go and create the project that'll give you your key. And then when you compose or install our package, it'll ask you for that key and then send a test ping. 
in the same way that you suggested with the paper trail. And then we can use like Echo. Then I, Because I'm, I'm using this as a chance to use all these cool things that I haven't had a chance to use before. Yeah. So I've um, been building it out with Inertia, which has been a lot of fun. Really been using Tailwind for the for my first like real project mm-hmm. from scratch, yep. which has been really nice. Um, and then being able to use Echo and then uh, probably Sparcy's webhook, not webhook. Um, yes. No, that's... WebSockets package. Yeah. And I guess even the webhook, webhook thing as well. Too. Because then we can send signed, you know, webhooks into this application, and that way at least there's a bit of um, security around what's going in and and what what we're receiving and things like that. Yeah, whether even, that's necessary or not doesn't matter. Right. Even webhooks out though, like with yeah. like because uh, that's that's one of the other things, right? And again, that's like one of those add it to the list. But mm-hmm. um, the ability to say like, okay, how do you want to be alerted? Do you want to be alerted via Slack? Do you want to be alerted via Telegram? Do you want to be alerted via webhook? Right. And then we'll just say. <laughs> Hey, this is the payload we're going to send. You specify the endpoint, and we'll send it over. Yeah. And Spassi's, uh webhook package takes care of all the retry logic and all that stuff too, right? So, hey, if it fails, retry it again in five minutes, and then retry it again in ten minutes, and then stop retrying, right? Sort of deal. I think it handles all that for you, which is really nice because yeah. that's the stuff that you'd otherwise have to build yourself. And thanks to Spassi, we wouldn't have to. Yeah. So that's good. Um. So with so like back to the paper trail thing, real quick. With paper trail, you don't actually have to use a different like key anything you just say here's the server here's the port done so you can use it for as many different servers as you want so like i could set up five servers on all on the same like logging server thing for them so um, how do you authenticate does, that you're a valid user within paper trial then i honestly don't even i don't even know i'm not even positive nah, that sounds dodgy it sounds like maybe you're the it's, product it's, yeah what's that I don't know the product yet. Yeah. Sounds like you're the product. Yeah. No, so, I'm saying sounds like you're the product. Oh, oh you're, you're the product. I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, I think it might have to do when you first, when you're setting it up, there might be some sort of authentication, something like it might be, that might be what it is. But yeah, or or maybe it's the port number. I'm not sure. The port number is kind of long. So yeah, maybe okay. that's what it is. I don't know exactly. But then what it does is it identifies where it's coming from by looking at the string that it's coming from. So like it says, yeah. you know, uh, merciful ocean colon php here's the error whatever right so i'm wondering if you couldn't do something similar the only problem is like if you ever change the name of your app then it would be Mm. all wonky right you would either come in as like a new project sort of deal you know because then because like managing keys is sort of a pain um Mm. and instead of having to like i don't know if you could just do one key Right. Instead of having to do a key per project, that would be interesting. But you might run into some weird stuff with teams then and all that too. Right. Cause you might say, like, you know what I mean? You might have like a, yeah, a set of projects that you only want to be available to a certain team, but they all come in all over the same like hook. So how do you control that? Whatever. Yeah. So probably a separate key for each, for each project, I would think it'd probably be sane. But yeah. Well, we'll see how we go, I guess. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's where we're at right now, putting our heads together on it. And um, hopefully we'll have an MVP soon and we can start yeah. screwing around with it. Yeah. It's looking hopefully good though. You're doing a good playing. job. I'm excited yeah. about the name mm. that we've got, I which think, has pretty much been my only contribution. Yeah. Well, um, like I said, you, I I went, yeah, let's do this. This is a, this is really good because I, I thought long and hard about how we could um, tie it in with some of the other projects out there in the wild at the moment. And the first thing that popped into my head is used by something else, of course. So my second choice, I thought, this is great. And you said, mm, don't, don't think it really like indicates anything as to what it is. And then you came up w- with what you came up. I'm like, all right, okay. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So now it's, um, you know, branding. That's all I got to do. That's it. That's like yeah. my only job with this. No, I'm just kidding. Definitely going to help code it out too. I'm super stoked to be using Inertia on this project, which is going to be uh, really exciting. I know you already have a mm. pull request up to Inertia for some, like a Laravel preset. Like I said, like there were some, here are some concerns I had for why it didn't work for me right off the bat. So that's oh, cool. I, yeah. I mean, that was my bad. I I made that preset. So, and I was like, oh, gotcha. why is this gotcha, not gotcha. working? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. because with, so when you send, if you ever happen to use Inertia and you get hit by this, Which you, you send a delete request, right? Inertia, and so typically when you send a delete, you'll do your authorization, you'll do like model delete, and then you'll redirect the user, which is a normal flow. And that and that's what Inertia expects and it handles the redirects. But because you send a delete in some browsers 
and I assume, well, I say some in Firefox, definitely, because that's what I tested it in. If you send a delete and then the redirect, you'll get a whoops back saying that you're trying to send a delete to wherever the redirect is because it doesn't follow the, the redirect properly. Okay. Um, so the inertia middleware actually handles that and changes the status code from a 302 to a 303 so that it, it gets handled properly. So that was just what I what I ran across. I did open up a pull request and ask for feedback from um, Jonathan to see what he thought on it. And if, if anyone else has any suggestions on this, basically I'd like to figure out how I can append a middleware to the web middleware group without having to maintain like a copy of that file because when you install the inertia preset the whole idea is that you install it and then everything will just work yeah but without this inertia middleware in that group the delete requests don't work and what the way that i've got it set up now is like it'll work and basically it's copy pasting the app http kernel from the default laravel project adding the extra line into that group right. and then having to basically copy a copy that across wholesale but this now puts me in a situation where I have to maintain yeah. the like the version that I've got in the preset matches the version that's in Laravel, and that just doesn't sound like something no. I want to do. So, no. if you know of a good way of like injecting a middleware into that group from a service provider or a package or whatever, there's got to be a way. Ears, yeah, there's yeah. got to be a way. I'm pretty sure there must be. We'll we'll figure that out. Uh, the one yeah. other thing that you said is you're messing with uh, Chipper CI on this, so that's pretty mm. cool. So you said you got some really really fast build times. Yeah, uh, with the tests and stuff. Yeah, I think, and I was talking with with Chris and and David about it the other day, and I, I I said like I don't know what it is that makes this so much quicker. I think what we may have decided in the end was because we, when we cache our build dependencies, we do it based on the commit sha in GitLab. So every time I push a new change and it has to run everything because the commit sha is obviously different, the cache is busted. And sure. so it has to clone down all the repository again and install all the dependencies again. Whereas, because I'm pushing everything just to master for this project, you know, I'm not changing the dependencies that often. I'm, the cache doesn't change that often. So, but I'm seeing quite consistently when it's cloning down the repository and when it's preparing its caches, like the entire process from start to finish is like 30 seconds, 40 That's seconds. Insane. Like, I've not seen a single build run more than a minute. Um, except for the very first one. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's really great. Yeah. So, so if that's yeah, really the case, if I could get that. my build times, if I could get my build times that freaking fast, I would definitely mm. switch over. I'll have to, I'll have to experiment out. with it. Yeah. I'm the, have to the best part is if you have a Laravel application, there's basically nothing you have to do. I yeah. All I did was tell Chipper, hey, I want you to run on this repository. And then I didn't even think about it after that. But the first time I pushed from localhost into GitHub, it, it just built it and it was done. It was ready to go. So that's pretty, pretty happy sweet. With that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that about wraps it. Uh, we have anything else we want to talk about? Our sponsors? Yeah. I mean, always want to talk about our sponsors. Always want to talk about our sponsors. What you need to do is put this in a note like I do so that it's just there. I just open notes and I go, boom. You should just do it then. You just do it. You just, I'll just do a good job of these anyway. All right. Just I'll do, do it. it. I'll do it. All right. So thanks very much to Andreas, Joe from WorkVivo, JP Davey. CTO Sumo and Rasmus C. Nielsen. Where did we decide Rasmus was from? He was from makeable.dk. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, thanks and to Rasmus to and his, his crew. We got to meet his boss. Yeah. I, I actually looked it up the other day and saw his boss on the website. And so I'm going to find his name. Boss's name is Lars. Lars Dahl. Lars. There you go. Yep. If, thanks, if Lars. I did meet any of you at Laracon this year, I do apologize. I really bad with everything. <laughs> JP and I wasn't cannot there. for the life of me remember who I met. I know that I bumped into a few people. I know I bumped into Andreas and we bumped into Patrick Guevara out on the street and a yeah. couple of times in, in the theater. Ah, Patrick. Um, I if Patrick I bumped into you and it seemed like I pretended like it didn't happen, I'm really sorry. I was just, there was so much going on, right? And uh, I, look, we appreciate all of you, but especially our sponsors. As I said. Absolutely. Andreas, Joe from WorkVivo, JP Davey, CTO Sumo, and Rasmus C. Nielsen from Makeable.dk. This week, we are sponsored by CTO Sumo. And CTO Sumo is on-demand tech consulting and fractional 
CTO, Chief Technology Officer Services for your startup. So they handle all kinds of things from agile technical project management to hiring and mentorship, software architecture and development and auditing. They've got the fuel to get your business going. Hiring a CTO for your company can be time consuming, frustrating and expensive, but they will make it easier by connecting you with like-minded tech pros with enough firepower to spark your ideas. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with CTO Sumo, check them out at ctosumo.com. And thanks so much to sponsoring the podcast. Awesome. All right, everybody. I think that is it. This is a wrap on episode 61. Thanks for listening. Find show notes for this episode at northmeetsouth.audio slash 61. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at NorthSouthAudio, Jacob Bennett, Michael Dorinda. If you like the show, share it with your friends. We would love for you to share it with your friends. If you would rate it up in your podcast or choice, that would be great as well. And I think that's it. Until next time, we will see you in two weeks. Yeah. Bye. See you all. Bye.